welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Good morning. Welcome to this meeting of Sexaholics Anonymous. My name is Marty from Anchorage, Alaska, and I'll be one of your facilitators for this session. I'm also joined by Denise from Dublin, Ireland. The name of this meeting is What is Lust? Um, please take a moment to silence all your electronic devices. If you need to use yours during the meeting, please take it outside. We ask that you not make any personal recordings of this or any meeting. Please join me in a moment of silence, followed by the serenity prayer. Prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. In the spirit of carrying the essay message, this meeting is being recorded. If you are not sure your share will be appropriate or on topic, please participate by listening. The recording equipment will not be turned off for any reason. If if you wish to share, please speak directly into the microphone so that the listeners can follow you. If you wish not to be recorded, we invite you to participate by listening or attending another session. Please do not touch any of the recording equipment. Facilitators, uh, see here. It says do not read this part. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. um, so the topic today is uh, what is lust? And so uh, I'll just let you go first. How about Denise? Hi, I'm Denise. I'm a sexaholic. And finally, a topic I can talk about that I really know something about. <laughs> And I was thinking about preparing as well. I did prepare, but, you know, I do know. And I think what I'd like to share is, you know, what is lust? Because I often hear newcomers and people who um, seem to think that the acting out is lust. And acting out is not lust. Acting out is a consequence of lust. And so if I try and stop acting out, and I'm lusting, it just doesn't happen. And so I see people um, slipping um, because they're not surrendering lust. They're just trying to stop acting out. And for me, that's impossible. Um, if I think it, I have to do it. Um, so in the, in fact, in the white book, um, on page 41, well, it's, you know, lust, we have a whole section in the White Book of what is lust, you know, and um, and this the fir- very first thing, lust is, why in step one do we say we're powerless over lust instead of sex? I'm not powerless over sex. Sex is a natural function of the human body, um, reproduction thing, and to do with family and all the rest of it. I'm not powerless over that. That's natural, like food, you know, somebody who's addicted to food. You know, food's not a problem. You have to eat, right? You know, the problem is the attitude, the kind of, um, 
it feels almost viral to me. It's like a virus, you know, this energy, this attitude of lust. Um, so, you know, I'm single and I've never had uh, sober, sober sex, as they call it. Um, but I can imagine what it's like because I have dated sober and the experience and the criteria that I have inside of myself is completely different. Um, I had a, a nice experience recently. It didn't, it, it didn't go forward, but it was nice because it was really based on union. What would the union bring to the world? You know, what are your values? And there was no lust, which I was like, that's fairly <laughs> unbelievable. I have dated an earlier recovery and, um, it wasn't lust, but it wasn't quite the same. You know, it wasn't quite that union thing, you know, because, you know, sex also is only a part, and this is the way I think today, of the marriage. A marriage is a, is a, is a family. It has many different things. Sex is only one part of it, you know. And I say to my, my sponsees, and they say, oh, because we're women, you know, we're different, we're relational. And I'm like, well, did you ever have a romantic fantasy whereby you fantasized about not having sex with your husband? There's no sexaholic in the world that does that, yeah? I dress it up. I'm addicted also to the teenage lust of I'm in love. That's teenage feelings. That's very high. They're connected to your hormones when you're 12, 13, 14, right? I suppose boys get it. I don't know. Maybe it's slightly different. There is different physicality there. But it's that teenage feeling of in love, falling in love. And that's lust. It's lust-based. It's not love. It's not grown up. It's not developed. Um, and that's what romantic love it. Because that's not love addiction. Love, you can't be addicted to love. Love is a good thing. Love is God. I'm not addicted to that. I'm not addicted to the feelings... I love my nieces and my nephews. That's all empowering, all engrossing. I love my fellows. I'm addicted to lust, romanticized lust, which is a form of lust. Um, also, um, this thing about masturbation as well. Um, I thought this was what everybody could do, and obviously I'm going to be a little bit graphic now, but hey, we're in Sexaholics Anonymous, right? Um, I can have an orgasm without doing anything. I've got it in my head. I can just do it there and then. And I discovered medically only sexaholic women can do that. I thought all women did that. I thought that's what it was. You're walking around, you turn it on, and and so it's pure lust, pure unadulterated, pure. It's like heroin, like you're directly injected. You have it there already. You don't even have to do anything. It's that powerful. So that, for me, is what I work my program on. So I am powerless over the first thought, the first look. Um, The first one is on God. I'm a sexaholic. I'm going to have lust. I'm sexaholic. I'm not cured, right? That's going to happen. I can be here and it's not happening to me now or whatever, but I can maybe start saying, um, oh, uh, he's nice. You know, when it starts me and my daily renewal partner, he's nice, he's nice, he's nice. Thank you very much. Um, 
and I can body part or I can think, or, you know, I can get thoughts. And what I do is I go, oh, yeah. And I just bat it away and I laugh. You know, I say to my dear new partner, I met my husband again today. She's like, oh, how is he? Yeah, you know, because you meet like 15 of them a day, you know, and he's my husband. He's my, uh, then we just laugh, you know, because that's the bit, you know, it's just a disease getting in the way, you know. It's just lust is trying to feed itself. It's like a little monster um, inside. So for me, when I talk about uh, sobriety, like I have not had a romantic fantasy in eight years. It's not that I haven't masturbated or watched pornography or had sex. I haven't done that. But I haven't had a, rom- a romantic fantasy. comes into my head, first thought's on God, second thought is on me. And I learned this from a, a long-term sober member who also discussed it. He hasn't had a story in his head for 30 years. You know, and it is true. It's not made up. Um, so if it could, because what I used to do is I would get my early recovery. I was four and a half years sober and I had a slip. And in part, it was to do with my age being a woman. There was a huge trigger. I wanted to have children. I wasn't married and I just went bananas, you know, um, uh, on that. Um, but I was very much, um, just wanting to get married thing and, you know, the self-will and all the rest of it, you know. So I would have had a lot of romantic fantasy still. I was really struggling to surrender romantic. And I was. I was burning, you know. I'd have this story about this guy. And he was in my group four and a half years, guys. It was pretty tough going, you know. And that's not an excuse for acting out, though, because it was optional for me to act out. It wasn't, oh, yeah, it's going to happen. No, it did, but it shouldn't have, if you know what I mean. Uh, shouldn't have, well, you know. I don't like saying, oh, I learned from it, because I would rather, if it hadn't have happened, I would rather have learned in a different way. That was me not learning, actually, because the definition of insanity is doing the same thing again and again, expecting a different result. And so I grabbed another sexaholic, and that's my modus operandi. It was one one slip. I nearly died. Nothing strange, nothing dangerous, nothing weird. He was single. I was single. We were dating. But it was, I had a psychic break. It was because of powerlessness. Lust takes over. It's a drug. Um, so um, I lost my train of thought there for a second. So I get my little book here, my white book. Yeah, so I suppose basically what I want to say is I don't really believe in technical sobriety. You know, you're either sober or you're not. Um, there's a story of that person who, I don't know, uh, some people, you know, they're watching pornography, and but they're not masturbating, so, you know, they're sober, right? For me, that is the most unsober thing anybody could do, you know. Anything to do with sex, if you're not married and having a union with your partner, is sex. Talking about it, thinking about it. You know, obviously we're not perfect and it is progressive victory over lust. I don't want to make people feel, you know, oh God or whatever. But you do need to progress. And once you become aware of something that you didn't know, like I didn't know that that, um, romantic fantasy was what I used to call daydreaming. It was so ingrained. I mean, from the age of five, 
I was daydreaming 60% of my day. Um, so when I realized that that was what people were talking about when they were saying lust fantasy and sexual, you know, sexual fantasy and romantic fantasy, I was completely shocked. It was very difficult. And that was my biggest, you know, uh, because I knew if I went, you know, if I went out and I went in a nightclub and picked somebody up, that's kind of obvious to me that that's acting out. Do you know what I mean? That's fairly kind of, okay, or you have sex with somebody. <laughs> Mind you, it wasn't when I was in a different fellowship. That wasn't that obvious. I had to have someone say to me, well, actually, Denise, you know, you headed for the hills with this guy for three days. That was acting out. And I was like, what? No, it wasn't. <laughs> um, so anyway, I don't know. I think my time might be up, is it? Oh, okay. Pretty close, if nothing else. Um, so, yeah. So basically what I'd like to transmit is acting out is a consequence of lust. We are powerless over lust, as it says in our white book. Okay, so, you know, it's about not lusting. And there are members who have don't have sex. They just lust. They're still sexaholics, you know. Um, and we're not, I'm not allergic to sex. I'm allergic to lust. Um, and let's see something else. Oh, yeah, and that this lust then can go into, now my own struggle would be my lust goes into negative thinking and self-loathing. Um, and it's a negative attitude. It's an attitudinal thing, and our anger and resentment, that's all lust coming out, trying to pull me back, that negative force, trying to get me to act out again. Um, and preparing for this talk, I actually was able to kind of learn about myself and realize that's where I'm at. I have to be careful because it's not coming at me from the visual sexual or the sexual angle uh, overtly, but it is underneath you know you're not good enough you're not a good enough woman you should be doing more you should be doing this and then you build up the tension and what do you do when you have the tension well i know what i do when i have a certain level of tension i act out or i drink or i overeat i have three options i'm a really lucky person <laughs> i can choose a few things to do and the last thing i'll say is and this really is the last thing i'm going to say there's a piece here on page 55 of the white book about you know, nature pours the vacuum, you know, and that like my soul or whatever you want to call the essence of who I am needs to be plugged in somewhere. And that's what lust was giving me really. It was a plugging in. It was a warmth. It was a release. It was a belonging, you know, misguided. And so when I'm in recovery, I really need to take part in the program and do service and be with members because I have to plug into the higher power. And I have to, I can't plug into other people as individuals. I have to plug in to a, a power greater than myself. And the meeting is the first power greater than myself. Then there's God. And then there's, you know, that's all there is really after. There's nothing after God, is there? <laughs> anyway, so I'll leave it at that. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Denise. My name is Marty. I'm a recovering sexaholic. I've been sexually sober one day at a time, by God's grace, since uh, 4th of July, 2012. Um, my uh, my forms of acting out uh, involved chronic masturbation, chronic use of of pornography, and uh, chronic fantasy. I told my I tried to tell my sponsor once that I didn't ever have uh, that I wasn't a low dr- low bottom drunk. And he tried to inter- he started to interrupt me, and I tried to keep talking, so he couldn't tell me something I didn't want to hear. But uh, you know, my 
my chronic fantasy was one of the uh, the way to identify it was the loss of track of time. So I've lost a lot of time in my life that way. Um, to start off with, I want to read uh, out of the white book um, the, one of the definitions that I like of lust, and this comes from page 42. And this shocked me when I first read it. it says, lust is not sex, and it is not physical. It seems to be a screen of self-indulgent fantasy separating me from reality, either the reality of my own person and sex with myself or the reality with my spouse. Um, you know, the, uh, it shocked me because I thought the problem was my masturbation or I thought the problem was the pornography. And like we've already heard from Denise, that's not the problem. The problem is lust. And that's one of the things that separates our fellowship from other fellowships is, is what do we say we're powerless over. Um, and for me, I want to, you know, my sponsor has me look up two words every day when I, when I do my reading using a dictionary. Um, I've gravitated towards Webster's 1913 unabridged dictionary just because, uh, one, it's free and two, it's, uh, it's closer to the language probably that was used when they were writing the big book. So, Dictionary today, when you read about uh, something like tolerance, isn't the same word they were using when they wrote the big book originally. So the word I want to look at today is is lust. Um, and uh, I just came from a Spanish-speaking meeting this morning. And uh, uh, when I first learned the word for lust in Spanish, it struck me right away that it sounded like something else. And that was lujuria. And um, as you evaluate the the word luxury, it comes from uh, it comes from the word luxus, which the original meaning of luxus was excess, rankness, offensiveness, um, and originally was used to refer to lechery or lust. Now, how how is you know that sounds like luxury to me? But how's how's luxury? associated with lust to me. Well, right there in our white book, it talks about it. It's that screen of self-indulgent fantasy that I use to separate myself from reality. You know, with with the luxury that exists in my life, I use it to separate myself, to insulate myself from the reality of where I'm at. You know, at my bottom, I was spiritually dead. Uh, I was I was lifeless and any kind of Lust, any kind of luxury, would serve to keep me from having to look at that part of my life. And so, uh, so when I when I first got sober, um, you know, like others have, have talked about, like I thought it was, well, just get rid of the pornography, stop masturbating, and then I'll be okay. Um, the truth of the matter is, I wasn't okay. And so I had to, with my sponsor, do some work around what is lust for me. Um, and every single one of us, uh, if we listed out all the different ways that we experience lust, well, we'd never get out of here. So, um, But I found that I had to define, I had to explore and look at what lust was for me. Because what lust is for me isn't necessarily what lust is for you. What triggers me, what causes me to separate or disconnect from the world isn't the same as you. Um, and so, uh, 
in particular, it had to do with, uh, you know, being married. Um, my wife was my last legal drug. <laughs> and uh, um, while I was married uh, and technically sober, I could be drunk on lust with with my wife. And uh, and by no means am I saying any of that was her fault. Uh, that's me. Um, you know, for me, it was pursuing the intensity instead of the intimacy, looking for the excitement or the high or the, you know, and there was all sorts of ways to, quote, spice up our life. Um, and all of that, I think, really was based on, on lust. Um, lust for me is when I'm taking, uh, when I am uh, operating on the, the basis of self, uh, that we talk about in the big book. Um, for me, lust was uh, exhibitionism. And my sponsor used to laugh at me because I told him I didn't have a problem with that. He said, yeah, but you just have an audience of one. You know, when I'd stand in front of the mirror, you know, in the in the bathroom. Okay, voyeurism. When I look at other people, I'm not looking because I'm looking for information or trying to navigate life. I'm looking because my hard drive is is making recordings for future use for acting out. Um, fantasy. I found that fantasy is the is the cutting edge of my recovery because. As I can be walking down the street, minding my own business, in a spiritually fit place, and a temptation comes through, uh, passes through my mind. Uh, like I, I like what Denise said, the first one's on God. Okay, Temptation is a normal part of my human existence. Uh, and it wouldn't be called temptation if it wasn't tempting. So I used to act out because I was tempted, because I had this shame thing about how I should somehow be exempt from... Uh, from temptation, but uh, the fantasy, when it comes, is is the cutting edge. Okay, what do I do with that next thought, and uh, um, and where do I where do I take it uh, if I entertain it? Then I have opened the door for lust to enter in, and and I'm going to pay the consequences. I may not lose my sobriety, my technical sobriety, but I'm going to suffer. I will suffer. Um, Food, okay. I, I can use food to separate me from my reality. To so get get over whatever it is I'm feeling. You know, at, at one point in our pantry, I had a little sticker that said, uh, hung up on the on the shelf. It said, "What are you feeling?" And uh, well, I was trying to eat them, but uh, um, the other one is uh, sporting goods. I live in the in Alaska, where everything is about being in the outdoors, and uh, there's a a couple of my really good friends uh we we talk about this on a regular basis you know how we're how we're really looking for god you know and uh and I'll find myself in one of these places uh on my free time and you know, a friend will call me and he say what are you doing I was like I'm at the Cabela's looking for god on the shelf he's not here <laughs> um the uh, uh my defects Okay, the continuing work that I have to do in the twelve-step program, my defects are part of my lust, um, fear. When when I when I am unwilling to face or deal with what I'm afraid of, 
I resort to rage and control. Those are symptoms of my lust. I'm trying to separate myself from the reality of, of what is going on in my life. Um, you know, I have a, I have a son right now who's, uh, um, who's making choices that I don't think are really good for him. Okay. And, uh, and when I am trying to play God, when I'm trying to control what he's doing or what he's, uh, deciding, uh, I'm into that defect of control and I need to surrender. Like that's as much lust for me as, as fantasy or looking at pornographic images. And when I'm engaging in that, the telltale sign is the restless, irritable, and discontent. Um, resentment. Uh, I'm unwilling to feel my hurt. Unwilling to acknowledge that somebody hurt my feelings. Uh, or that they're not doing what I want them to do. Um, self-pity. I'm unwilling to grieve. I'm unwilling to feel the sadness that marks my life. That marks human human life, um, and uh, in the in my uh, uh, in my spiritual tradition, there's a story about a man who is wrestling with a demon and decides that he needs to clean house, and he cleans house of this demon. But like Denise read earlier, nature abhors the vacuum, um, so all he did was clean the house. He didn't replace it with anything, and in and in in the consequence of that, that demon came back with seven more. Um, and so, what is what is my answer for lust? My answer for lust is to experience the connection, the intimacy, the opposite of the intensity that I've always had, is the intimacy and the connection with my higher power, the connection with others in the fellowship, and uh, you know. The answer to lust is a spiritual connection. Step 12 says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. Okay, so that tells me that the purpose of all of my steps is to have that spiritual connection, that spiritual awakening. And if all I ever do is get through step, you know, one, two, three, however far you want to go without getting the the, uh, then I'm going to suffer. I've not found what it was I was looking for yet. And so, um, you know, the, I'd encourage everybody to, to take that, uh, uh, self-evaluative, uh, uh, inventory of what is lust for me. Um, because once I've identified it, now I can, now I can work on it. And, uh, you know, one of the things that my sponsor told me was, uh, when I, had these little struggles through the day, either with my defects or with lust, or he said, your first response, which we read about is called the joy response. Like, God, thank you for showing me what I get to work on today. Cause if I didn't have this struggle, I wouldn't know that this is something I need to work on today. So, um, yeah, with that, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll stop there. Um, All right, so start off with in sharing. We ask that members with five years or more of sobriety share first. And then uh, after a, a pause, pregnant pause there, then we'll go with uh, members who are one to four years. And then if time allows, others will be inv- invited to share so as to focus on the solution. Okay, uh, 
if you would like to share, you're going to uh, come up here. We're going to have you sit here, and we'll set the microphone up to where you can uh, speak. Um, and then uh, speak clearly into the mic so that everyone can hear you in participation. We avoid topics that can lead to dissension or distraction. We also avoid explicit sexual descriptions and sexual abusive language. The emphasis is on honesty, recovery, and healing. How to apply the 12 steps and 12 traditions in our daily lives. No crosstalk, please, if someone feels another is getting inappropriately explicit or focusing excessively on the problem rather than solution. They may so signify by quietly raising their hand. Although this is an anonymous meeting, please remember that anonymity does not mean legal confidentiality. Please do not share any felony for which you have not been adjudicated, else we will be required to inform law officials to protect the injured. Please be mindful that what you share please be mindful of what you share, not to break your own or another's anonymity. Okay, so So if there's somebody who would like to uh, share on their uh, uh, perspective on lust, we're starting with somebody that has five years or more of sobriety. Hey, everybody. I'm Jim, and I'm a sexaholic. When I came into this meeting, I said, I I just need to listen. I don't want to share, but... Anyway, that's not, I guess that's not my style. I, uh, my, my struggle over my period of sobriety is what is normal. My default is, you know, that's normal. I don't need to worry about that because everybody does that. That's normal. And I don't, and I still don't know what normal is. And, and it's, and it's, and it's a big deal for me. If I'm in the grocery store and I meet an attractive female, I think that's good. I like to look at an attractive female. Now, if I turn around and look at her backside as we pass, or if I if I go around the aisle to try and meet her again, that's that's a problem. That's a problem. That's not normal. I don't think. I don't think. <laughs> so, I, you know, I'm not so rough on myself. If I reset my sobriety for every time that I had lust early on, I don't know what, I don't know what would have happened. I, I, I was, I was gentle with myself early in sobriety and, and my sponsor, I guess, was gentle with me too. I've been sober for 11 and a half years. And I've had two brushes with relapse over those 11 and a half years. And, uh, and so I, you know, I went and told on myself and I told about everything and, and my, and my sponsor would, and I really believe my sobriety dates up to him as much as it is me. And he was kind with me and says, okay, do, do this, 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 and this, and this. And if it happens again, we've got to, we really got to revisit about your sobriety date. And that's, and so that's the way I was sponsored, and so that's the way I sponsor. Um, I have a sponsee right now that, that, um, and these guys that say I was on my computer and whoa, what, you know, something happened and there it was right in front of me. I call BS on that every time. <laughs> Stuff just didn't, 
I'm on my computer every day, and porn just doesn't jump out in my face. <laughs> uh, so that's, that's, I think that's, that's a good one, too, and, and something to be careful about. I, um, I really appreciate, um, uh, the share, or the shares from the, from the two up front about what is lust and what is acting out. Um, and, and it's, and it's been difficult for me, and, and it's still difficult for me, and I don't know if I should say this or not, but 68 makes it easier on me. My testosterone level, I suspect, is way low, and I'm a physician. I think that testosterone supplements in a sexaholic is definitely contraindicated. Uh, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in that. I don't believe that we need to go to the doctor and ask them to shoot something in our butts that's going to make us more likely to be lustful. I just don't believe in that. And and so, but but along with meetings and God and well, let me say meetings and sponsorship and steps. I call those the hoops. I call those the hoops that I have to jump through so God keeps me sober. So along with all those hoops and God, um, um, I'm, I'm able, I'm able to stay sober. I just, um, I, I still believe in the, in the concept of progressive victory over lust. Um, I hadn't, I hadn't found it necessary to, to act out in, in, in according to my definition in 11 and a half years. And I know a, I know one guy in our program that puts on the bottom of his all his emails that he's lust free since he has a he has a lust, last lust date and a, and a last acting out date and I said th- th- that's okay but I don't I don't have any idea what my last lust date is um, but thank God to this program thank God to God thank God to being 68 and having a low low level of hormones running around. You know, it's it's getting easier. Um, I'm going to say one more thing. If I act out, I don't have an opportunity to grow. I mean, I, if I can grow through my lust or through my seeing the pretty lady in the grocery store or whatever I need to, whatever I need, whatever is happening to me in real life, if I cannot act out over that, then I'm growing. But as soon, darn it, as I act out, or as somebody that I'm working with acts out, I mean, they they that nixes their ability to continue their growth for at least for a day, and uh, and I'm real proud I hadn't found it necessary. Thank you. Hi, my name's Nancy. I'm a sexaholic. I've been hanging around these rooms for 25 years, and um, by the grace of God, I have 13 years of sobriety. I I really, really focus on today. For those of you who know me, I usually have a lot to say, Um, but I feel like I have just learned so much from these two shares. I almost feel like I'm a newcomer. I feel like I'm sitting on the edge of my seat and just wanting to drink all of this in. I'll pass.
Good morning, Mauro Sexolik. Um, I came here um, wanting to understand better the, the the balance, what it means, uh, lust as far as a spiritual condition or a mental disease. And uh, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong here, but what I got this morning is at the end of the day, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a deadly dance between a mental predisposition, a mental predisposition toward a disease and, uh, and an evil, uh, evil activity. Um, so what I got, and please uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it helped me to see this, this evil dance happening with our, our sinful brain and, uh, and, uh, and demonic activity. Um, and I just wanted to, to say that. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Ted. I'm a sexaholic. Um, one of the most fascinating things to me when young people come over, young, newcomers come over and speak to me, and by the way, age is not the answer. I disagree with you. <laughs> At least not with me. It's not working. I'm getting older and I'm getting older and I'm still here, so what the heck. Um, but when newcomers come over to me, one of the first things that I try to get them to think through is something that's discussed in the White Book, and I call it the addictive cycle. 99% of the time that I hear stories of people acting out, like you just described, oh, the porn just popped up on me. No, it didn't. What happened was, my boss ripped me up on Monday, and on Friday I was so stressed out that I couldn't control it anymore, and I just blew up. What happened from Monday to Friday is lust. That's the disease. I don't go into my office thinking that I want to have sex today. I came into my office carrying the gorilla on my back for the last five days of wanting to have sex. And that happens to be the day I couldn't carry the gorilla any further, so I exploded. And what I try to do when people talk to me about it is I say, okay, let's walk back in time. Let's see what happened over the past four, five, whatever the number of days is, that triggered me to get onto my, what I call my addictive cycle. There was a great movie one time, well, I can't mention the movie, but there's a great movie about where you just keep watching something happen back and back and back in time. Fabulous movie if you want to ask me outside. Uh, <laughs> but figuring out that addictive cycle is a fascinating exercise because also from the White Book, Roy says, until we discover what that hole is inside of me that I'm trying to fill, I will never succeed in staying sober. And that hole inside of me is what creates my lust. So, it's although what you just said a moment ago about the physical aspect of what, yeah, but that's the end of the story. Harvey gives a great analogy. He says, if you have a drunk and he takes a bottle of beer and he tips his head back and he starts tipping the bottle over, Slowly, 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 and he says, I'm counting on God from keeping the beer from falling out of the bottle into my mouth. Harvey goes, 
God can do that, but it's statistically unlikely. <laughs> That's the same thing with my, with my addictive cycle. I can think about lust from Monday till Thursday night, and you know what? Maybe I won't act out, but it's statistically unlikely. Something bad is going to happen. And that trigger can be anything. For me, I can walk into the supermarket and I could see a clerk there. And that clerk comes over to me and says, can I get you anything? And my mind says, oh yeah. <laughs> he was thinking Cheerios. I wasn't. That's what the addictive cycle is. That's what lust is. That's what gets me on the road. And what the program has given me is the ability to understand that. Because I think back over my addictive life until today, after many, many, many years, I scratch my head and I say, did I really do that? And I can't believe it. I can't believe I did a tenth of the things that I did. But I did all of them and I did them willingly. That's the power of lust over my mind. Am I insane? I guess so. It says in the steps one, two, and three, if you look back over your life and you say, would any sane person do what I did? There's, there's, no, there's only one answer. It's not A, B, C. It's A. No. Nobody would do what we do. But we do it. And that's the power of lust to distort my brain, to change my life. But I have the ability now, through all you people being here, to stop that addictive cycle. On Tuesday, instead of Friday, I could say to myself, what am I doing? And I could then do the most valuable step in breaking the cycle. Bring it to light. Speak to someone about it. Share it with someone. Be rigorously honest about how much trouble I'm in. About how I'm really feeling. Because when I do that, Bill says that is the only requirement to recovery. It's the only one. It's to be rigorously honest with myself. So that's my view. Not certified by anybody, but that's what I've lived through. Thank you for letting me share. Hey, everybody. My name is Michael. I'm a sexaholic. Uh, thanks for chairing the meeting, both of you. Uh, it's great to uh, be here at a conference, at a convention, and uh, to be sober. I'm sober uh, 16 uh, years and uh, very grateful for it. <clears throat> I, I, I keep playing in my head all morning as, as everyone's speaking. I keep thinking, what is lust to me? And I thought, well, I think the biggest difference for me, the clearest black and white, is in my two marriages. I, I'm in my second marriage. And I can look back on my first and I can see how I acted upon the lust. So I, I'm not going to go into my head and say what what moment was the lust beginning because that's that I can play that game ad nauseum but I do know how badly I acted towards her and how shameful that was and how beautiful this marriage is how healthy it is prayerful it is I actually never felt more like a man 
than I did praying with my wife, my current wife. And the whole time we dated, we walked arm in arm around our small town. And I thought, this is what intimacy is about. And um, I, I remember talking to her about it and just feeling overwhelmed with how grateful I was to understand that. And, um, and so when somebody was talking about the grocery store, it was one of you two gentlemen, um, talking about the grocery store, and I was thinking, somebody said to me once, it's, it's like a, one of those riddles with a trick answer, so, so it's not, it don't, don't get too much into it, but he said to me, if you're in the grocery store and you're going up to the checkout counters and there's two of them, and one has a beautiful woman and one has one who's not attractive, which line do you go to? And he said, the proper answer isn't I'm going to go towards her because I'm not afraid or I want to flirt or whatever. And I don't want to go to this other one because I want to avoid the first one. In other words, it's not I don't want to act out upon my lust. I don't want lust to be my motivating factor for anything. The, the, the trick answer is I go to the shortest line, the shorter of the two lines, because I don't want to be in the grocery store. I want to go home and eat or, or do the rest of my job or whatever. So, and, and then the, the last thing I wanted to add is, is, is really what, what this gentleman was saying earlier about what our steps are for. And they're the most beautiful tools for someone as stupid as I am is, is the entire purpose of the steps is to obtain and nourish and nurture a relationship with my solution. Because there will be a day when it is overwhelmingly tempting to flirt or to ogle. And at that moment, there's only one thing between me and that, and that's him. He is my everything. And so I'm, I'm very grateful to know that because I, for years, acted upon my lust. And I don't now. And uh, life is night and day. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Now I know which line to get in. <laughs> okay, so one to four years of sobriety. Hi, everybody. I'm Steve. I'm sexaholic. And thanks for all the sharing. And you guys are really got a lot out of this uh i mean i feel like wow are you really sober you know technically i am in uh you know it's funny you mentioned that story about the line because i did that you know there was a beautiful girl checkout girl and one not so and i i chose to go to the one that was not so and when i got to her line she said Oh, she's open over there. Why don't you go over there? So I ended up in that line anyway. But so anyway, but you know, I went with the sharing from you guys. Like, 
I'm been sober four years and I'm lonely and I feel like, oh, you know, I'm, and I've, how do you do sober dating? And, uh, and I'm kind of obsessed with this girl that I work with. And we've done a couple things together, you know, just like lunch and a walk and, um, but I've, you know, I have that, I'm, you know, the romantic fantasy is take, you know, I feel like I'm bringing a burden and even though I'm being appropriate, it's like, you know, I'm thinking, well, you know, we're going to be married and living out in a cabin in the woods together and, you know, just, and it's just like, you know, what are you doing? Um <laughs> But, you know, doesn't there, there has to, I mean, it seems like lust is somehow involved. There has to be some kind of, she's the first one I've ever, that I've really felt like, wow, you know, I would like to get to know this person. And, you know, there ha, for me, like, there has to be some kind of a magic there or something. Something's attracting, and, and I really don't, you know, I, I don't know what I'm doing, you know, like, is this just lust, you know, or, so, you know, it wasn't real comforting hearing what you had to say about the romantic uh, fantasy stuff, but uh, that's okay, you know, because it has been kind of an unsettling feeling for me, like, you know, you know, this is not what you're bringing to the state, even though you're being appropriate, it maybe isn't fair to that person. So anyway, you guys gave me a lot to think about and uh, really appreciate it. Thank you. So I have time for one more short share, one to four years of sobriety. Hi, I'm Denise, I'm a sexaholic, and I'll just speak again. <laughs> no, I just, um, I remember when I was around four years sober, actually, somebody had said to me, it's a delicate age in recovery, because I think that you're comfortable, one is comfortable, and so you want to start dating and that, and it's kind of normal. Um, but I think I had to work on my underlying issues first. I have a lot of reactions and stuff, you know, personally. And I had a slip after four and a half years, you know, um, not that everybody does. Um, obviously, you wouldn't get beyond four years. But that this part, I think, is a part of letting go of the romantic fantasy, letting go of that stuff and just being willing to let it go. Just let it go. And then it comes back. And today, what I experience is so different, so very different. There's no weight. Um, when I do date, and it's not that often, but when I have, um, it has been completely different. Um, and it could be, it doesn't mean I have to give up any specific person, but, you know, it, it is quite delicate, I think. Um, and it's a natural desire as well, you know, so it shouldn't be a shameful feeling. Um, I would like to be married, you know, but now it's like I'm not willing to die to be married. You know, God is going to provide you know, and I just have to trust in that. So I'll leave it that. Thanks. Actually, I will say, 
and along the those same lines. Uh, for me, lust used to be how I would date my wife. Lust, once we were married, was I take you out on a date and you pay me back by having sex at the end of the night. Um, beautiful thing, my sponsor made me start dating my wife again when I first came into recovery. And one of the boundaries was that there is no sex on date night. So I got to put away that old that old way of doing things. And now I've found that I really do like this person that I'm married to and I want to spend more time with her. And it doesn't matter if there's sex or not. So with that, uh, we'll close here. Denise. Anything you, anything you have heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. The principles of SA are found in our 12 steps and 12 traditions. Remember that we never identify ourselves pub publicly with SA in the press, radio, TV, or films. Neither does anyone speak for SA. This is an anonymous program. Please keep the name, address, and phone number of anyone you meet or learn about in SA to yourself. The shares we have heard here were told in confidence Please do not repeat what you have heard about another member to anyone who was not actually here at the present meeting at that time it was shared. Please, what we say here, when we leave here, let it stay here. Here, here. And we will end with the third step prayer. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.